Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Athletes. My name is Michael Brazil, the host to the show where I get to interview Olympic athletes and hopefuls on their story and path to the Games. Today we have Andrew Wybreck of USA Skiing, the Alpine discipline. Andrew grew up in Lake Placid, so it was very interesting hearing about how he essentially grew up around the Olympics his entire life. All the things were there, all the people were very about it. So it was something that he said was very important to him growing up. He's a three-time Olympian. He had two of his best finishes at the Olympics. He's a two-time medalist as well. It was a lot of fun getting to talk to him, understanding his experiences, everything around it. He had a couple injuries along the way. He had some ups. He had some downs. He almost retired. It was, it's, it's an incredible story, just like most of these athletes' stories are. Um, and I think you guys will really, really love it. So one more time, we have Andrew Wybreck. I hope you guys have a wonderful episode. So today, very, very lucky two Two-time medalist, three-time Olympian, Andrew Weibrecht of USA Skiing, skied Alpine, um, born February 10th, 1986 in Lake Placid. So he's been around the Olympics or what it feels like the Olympics for most of his life. He started skiing at the age of two, joined the United States team in 2002. As I said, three-time Olympian, two-time medalist, one's bronze, one silver. He will be graduating. Very interesting story around that, but he will be graduating from Dartmouth most likely this coming year, so let's all cross our fingers for him. Um, and he actually recently retired from international competition. Andrew, thanks for hanging out with us today, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Michael. Absolutely. No, I mean, it's the, the pleasure is all mine. I get to talk to the Olymp Olympians on a daily basis, and it's been pretty incredible. Um, I'm having an absolute blast with it. So, Andrew, that was what a, what a small unworthy introduction could you kind of give us a little bit more feedback a little bit more uh uh fleshing the story out a little bit i mean great story start at the beginning so if you don't mind uh, take it away yeah i started skiing when i was two in lake placid um my parents they love to ski so that's sort of what got me into the sport you know just as a family that's that's really what we did they had no racing background or anything but they got me into the racing program when i was five you know, partially because my older brother was doing it and I, I begged them to let me enter the program too. Um, you know, and I think the rest is they wanted to go skiing without a bunch of kids. So, um, they dumped us off on that, which, you know, it was, you know, for me, it was a terrific experience. You know, we have a great local program up here at NICEF. Um, and it was just phenomenal. I mean, they basically, it was under them that, that I pretty much progressed from, five years old to the U.S. ski team when I, you know, when I made the U.S. team in, uh, I guess I was 16. So in 2002, like you said. That's so. incredible. At 16, you were, you made the United States ski team. What's that? I mean, if you told 16 year old Mike, he was going to be on the United States team for anything, my head would have been gigantic. I mean, what's that like at 16 and kind of taking that all in and understanding you're clearly one of the best in the country or something. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, you know, I, Personally, looking back on it, I, I think I, I probably wasn't ready for that experience. You know, I was, I, I probably could have benefited a lot by staying with my local club for a couple more years and kind of get, you know, that a little bit more of a, I guess a nurturing experience is, is, is kind of the best way I could put it because, you know, when you, you head onto the ski team, you're expected to be a professional athlete when you're not really, you know, you're not really equipped to do any of that at that age. So um, it was definitely an interesting experience and, uh, you know, I had a great time. It was, it was all good, but I think my development as an athlete probably wasn't, you know, kind of stalled out for a couple of years because, you know, I was just, I was just kind of in over my head and in some respects and, and not mature enough to, to handle all the, the stuff that was coming at me. 
That's really interesting. Most people that I talk to, when they say they, they, they get to the United States team, it's usually almost the opposite. I, I think that's awesome. Not awesome, but I, I, I'm really happy to hear that there's, there's another take on that. Cause most people it's, you know, they get there, they realize all the amenities, all the training, the nutrition and everything that's involved with it. And they kind of, they're thrust into that situation and they take advantage of it. It sounds like obviously you took advantage of it, but there was kind of a little bit of growing pains with your um, case. Like why, why do you think that was, was it because you were just so young? Was it, was it something specific that happened along the way? No, nothing really specific. It's just, I, I was, I was quite a bit younger than all the other guys. So I was, I was just, I was a little bit out of my element for a little while. And um, you know, I, I had, I had such a great support system at home in Lake Placid that I had a great strength coach that was, was helping me along and helping with me with my nutrition. I had great coaches at NICEF. You know, it was just, there was a lot of really good stuff going on. And I think, you know, something that I found later in my career that was really important to me was kind of that, that continuity and consistency between programs. So, you know, I always had trouble switching from coaches from coach to coach or strength coach to strength strength coach because it's just like inevitably there's going to be a break in you know in the continuity and so it was definitely you know I think I think that was a big part of it um but you know it, it took me a year to to figure it out it was just you know all of a sudden I I went from you know, being on a local club team to being on the, the national team, living in Utah instead of Lake Placid, totally different coaches. And, and then, you know, to some extent, I was also, you know, as much as, as, much as they have to focus on development, I, I went from being, you know, a very high profile athlete at my local club that has a lot of history with creating good, good ski racers to sort of, the, you know, the back to the bottom of the barrel on, on the national team. So, you know, for what it's worth, it's, it's, it was definitely, there's some growing pains, but I got through it. And I think that that's, you know, at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. I probably, probably if I had been 20, when I, when I made the, the ski team, I, I probably would have gone through a lot of the same stuff anyway. So, you know, get yeah. it over with when I'm young. Exactly. Right. Get it over with, get it out of the way. And then you can kind of get used to it and, um, you know, figure everything out moving forward. So that's pretty, that's very interesting. I'm really, um, uh, I'm glad and thank you for, for being open and honest with us about that. I think that's very, um, you know, it interesting for lack of a better term and just kind of cool to hear that people definitely go through different things when it comes to, uh, you know, joining the United States team. So one thing I do want to ask you about being born in Lake Placid. And as you said, you kind of are in an area known for, making for lack of a better term great racers um did growing up around and in lake placid and kind of always having the constant reminder of the olympics did that kind of push you to a certain sport specifically an olympic sport or was it just kind of it fell into your lap that way is was it even like was it subconscious at that point how did that kind of whole let's call it the lake placid effect um uh work yeah for sure um you know i think that it doesn't it doesn't really matter what sports you end up going into, like every kid in Lake Placid does, does one of the Olympic sports, whether it's luge or ice hockey, skiing, uh, you know, Nordic skiing. Um, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just part of the culture. Uh, you know, everybody, you know, how many places still have ski jumps in the U S it's like, yeah, good point. How many loose tracks are there? there's, there's two in the U S so it's, you know, everybody's pushed in into these sports, at least, at least kind of on an intro introductory level. And then, you know, you have the proximity to these great venues that, 
if you want to take it further, if it's something you want to pursue, that you have that ability. And there's such a strong support system from the town that they they really encourage you know the young kids to get involved to be to be athletes not you know not necessarily olympic athletes but it, you know you walk around town and and it's an incredibly active town i mean it's a, it's a very sports minded um, you know fit population that they just they the, there's a lot of things that we lack up here but what we don't is is the access to really awesome you know venues and outdoor experiences so so that that's just it's just part of the culture you know and and um you know i didn't really i didn't really choose alpine skiing it it kind of in some respects it chose me i i was i was always good at it from a young age and so i didn't explore a lot of the other sports that that some of the other kids did that you know they then ended up being you know they you know, they raced alpine skiing, but they, you know, eventually ended up going into Nordic skiing or ski jumping or, you know, something, something different. Um, and it's such a cool thing because, you know, tons of kids that, that I grew up racing with or that I knew growing up, you know, also went to the Olympics. It's just, I think the last Olympics we had like something like, or maybe two Olympics ago, we had 18, 18 local athletes, wow. which is just, a, you know, kind of a, an awesome stat to throw on any town that's that's absolutely crazy i mean that is as you said i mean they're pretty much like pumping you guys out up there it sounds like and and i do think with what like i mean there was there was one back in the 30s at lake placid right they hosted two olympics if i'm not mistaken one yeah, like we way were, back we were 32 so third third winter games was mm-hmm. placid and then 1980 yeah that's that's the big one i think everyone remembers naturally yeah. um oh, of course you know, Everyone was, uh, just about everybody was alive for that one, or at least yeah. more people were than, than 1932. But I think, yeah, having the third poss- the third Winter Games there and then having another huge one in the 80s, um, you know, Miracle on Ice, if I'm not mistaken, all yeah, that was right. happening. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it makes sense. And I've, I've been to Lake Placid twice, actually, this year. And as you, you know, just, just a testament to what you said, everyone was walking around. It was, you know, the minute it was January, so it was freezing out, but everyone was out doing something, being active, as you said, very fit population. And it, it was pretty cool. And then, yeah, when you drive up into, you know, I don't know which direction um, I took particularly, but when I got there, yeah, I saw the ski jumps. I saw um, the luge you see everywhere. They just tr- remind you about how um, the 1980 Olympics were there. And I think it was, uh, I think it was pretty cool. And I, I really enjoyed it. And I can only imagine what it's like living there. So that is, that is pretty impressive. And hey, if it works, it works. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a special place, you know, for, for a lot of reasons. Um, but yeah, I mean, having an Olympic legacy is not, it's not necessarily a normal thing. There's not a lot of, a lot of places that can, that can tout that. And, you know, that's in a lot of ways, that's, that's what separates us from, from so many other towns. So, so mm-hmm. we, we kind of scream it from the rooftops, maybe, maybe what? almost too much, but no, no, not enough. It, so. Not enough, man. Scream it louder. I would love to hear that. So you actually, so let's get back into your story a little bit more. So you you make the team in 2002, you're 16. Obviously we went through the growing pains and everything. It didn't sound like the 2002 games were really on your radar, if I'm not mistaken. So then the 2006 games come around was what was was there any pressure on you to make those games i mean you've been on the team for four years now was there an expectation what happened um within those four years leading up to the 06 games um those four years going into 06 were you know i mean i I think that that i I started to find my stride within the ski team quite a bit more um 
I actually started college in that time. And I, I think that was really important for me because it gave me a lot of perspective. Um, you know, I, I had a very non-typical high school career where I wasn't really around. So, so to actually go to college, um, get a dose of sort of the reality that, that the other kids were going through that were my age was, was really important. It gave me a lot of perspective to say, okay, hey, this is something that I definitely want to be doing and I want to pursue. So kind of let's double down the effort and get serious about it. Um, you know, with that said, I, I, I definitely, that happened, you know, kind of after the, the 06 games sort of came in, came into the realm. And, and, and honestly, I was, I, I was quite young. I, it would have been, you know, for anybody to, that was my age to make the games. You know, I think, I think the youngest guy in those games was Ted, Ted Ligety and he's, he's two years older than me. So it's, um, you know, that was, it would, it would have been extreme, especially on, on the men's side with how competitive and how much later guys tend to, tend to, um, you know, bloom as athletes. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't really on my radar, but you know, that, that next season after the 06 games, I did, I did start racing my first world cups and, and started to really, you know, I pushed it to that, that top level where I was all of a sudden, you know, went from being sort of a North American racing athlete to, you know, racing, racing the big races kind of pretty, pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man. And that, and that makes sense. I guess what you would have been 20 in 2006, something like that, right around there. Yeah, um, exactly. So yeah, I mean, making the Olympics at 20 is incredible. I don't care what sport we're talking about. That would have been absolutely incredible. So I wasn't just sure kind of how, what the expectations were especially with you getting on the team at such a young age um getting on the team at 16 already sounds like it's pretty incredible so i don't know exactly what what that looks like but it sounds like again you were you were speaking to the sport that maybe is a little bit late blooming so actually let's take a time out and can you actually explain alpine skiing to us i guess because um you know again i watch it once every four years but you know, yeah. I'm sure you can give us a slightly better understanding of what exactly I'm paying attention to than me just kind of shouting at my TV for whoever is racing to go faster. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I can, uh, I can give it a shot. Certainly. Yeah. Um, so Alpine, Alpine racing has four events or, well, I guess technically five ish, maybe six events, depending on how you look at it. But the four core events are slalom, giant slalom, super G and downhill. And I, I primarily raced super G and downhill. That was sort of, that was kind of my thing. Um, and the difference between the events is, is basically the, the distance between the gates. So slalom, the distance between gates is about say 10 to 14 meters. And when you uh, say gates, those are the things you guys just constantly look like are, you're running into. The, the flags. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's slalom. The next, the next, event up is giant slalom and that that distance moves from you know 15 10 12 15 meters to about 25 to 35 meters then it's super g which is short for super giant slalom they get super creative with their naming (laughs) um and that goes up that's you know that's that's 45 to 60 meters and then downhills you know 60 to 100 meters and so incrementally each, you know, each of those events, the speed increases, the length of the turn increases, um, you know, and they're, they're, they're similar, but, but very different events. You know, it used to be that, that a lot of guys would race all four events. That's, that's pretty rare now. Um, 
And then there's a couple other events that, you know, they do a combined event in the Olympics, which is a run of slalom and a run of downhill. So the, the two, the two ends of the extreme, um, I believe, I guess this last game, they did a, they did a test event or a, I don't know what it, yeah, I guess, um, it was a metal event, but it was the first time that they've, they've mm -hmm. tried it, uh, it is a parallel slalom. So two people on mm -hmm. parallel courses at the same time. So they're, I mean, they're always kind of trying to play around with things and do different variations, but at the end of the day, it's, it's those, those four different core events. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, basically this, the sport comes down to obviously trying to get from the top to the bottom as quickly as you can while making all the, all the gates that you need to make, but. Absolutely. And I think Probably you did a great job. Couple you nuances. <laughs> I'm sure there's a couple of things that uh, technically speaking, you as a, a silver medalist could, could explain, but we don't need to go too deep. Um, the only last question I have about that is how much does it hurt running into those flags? Cause it looks like you guys are just whipping them. And I mean, I don't, I that has to get frustrating after a little while, right? Well, yeah. So it's, it's kind of funny because it's, it's not that bad in the race season. Um, you know, cause you wear pads mm -hmm. and you're not hitting that many gates a day when it really sucks is in the training season when you're taking 10 runs that are the same length. So, you, you know, instead of hitting 30 gates in a day, which is what you would do when you're racing, you're hitting 300 and you know, you chip elbows and mm -hmm. you come back from camps, just kind of, kind of all like all black and blue up your mm -hmm. arms and hips and stuff. But yeah, it's <laughs> so it's the race season you look forward to, just like every other sport, pretty much. No one you, you get paid to race, you don't get paid to practice, or you get paid to practice. You, the racing's for fun, kind of thing. So that is um, that's interesting. So thank you, uh, Andrew, for giving us a nice little understanding of exactly um, what I'm watching, and and hopefully in four years I remember this conversation, and I'm sure other people <laughs> will as and uh, be able to, to watch that. So um, you don't make the games in 06, but you do make the games in 2010. And as you said, in what was it, 06 or 07 was when you finally started racing internationally, starting to kind of get your feet wet there. What, I guess, give us kind of a little rundown between 06 and before um, actually making the games in 2010. Um, so, okay, so in the 06, 07 season, so that, that's, that's the season after the, mm -hmm. the 06 games. Um, that, that year I won the North American, like, it, it, similar to how there's a world cup tour. Mm -hmm. There's also a European cup tour and a, a Noram cup tour, mm -hmm. which I think most sports have. It's, it's basically just the, the level of racing below world cup. Um, so in the 06, 07 season, I won the overall Noram tour, uh, which, you know, was, was for me at that time, that was, that was really like the big, the big marker I had to hit to be mm -hmm. able to start racing world cup full time. Um, and I did race some world cup that year and, you know, kind of, kind of dip my toe into it, but just a, a few races here and there where it fit in. In 2007, 2008, or yeah, 2007, yeah. 2008, that was, that was my first year on world cup and I had, I had some really great events. You know, I had my, my first top 10 in the world cup, um, you know, from, from pretty deep start numbers, which, you know, the further, the further back you're starting the typically the tougher, tougher it is. So, you know, it was great to be able to get in there and actually 
prove to myself as well as everybody else that, that I needed to prove something to, to keep doing mm -hmm. it. Um, you know, that I was capable and that this was, this was something that we were going to pursue, you know, um, <clears throat> the following season was kind of more of the same, you know, just a lot of uh, decent races, not, not really breaking through quite yet to, to be, you know, kind of a, a perennial guy, but, um, you know, in there. And then it was, then it was the, the 08, 09 season where, where I really broke through and then I was ranked in the top 30 and that, mm -hmm. that changes where your start rights are and everything else. And that, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the, the big benchmark that once you're in the top 30, you're, you're kind of, you're a competitor. Um, you know, probably I would say that, there's there's a decent chance that any guy in the top 30 can win on any given day mm -hmm. um you know there's obviously guys that are expected to win over the guy right 30th but you know that that it puts you in the game mm -hmm. and then the the actual season 09010 um heading into the Vancouver games I that's really where I broke through I was I was ranked you know, close to the top 15 in two events. I was, I was having races that, that sort of had that, you know, it's almost, it's almost there. Um, you know, I had a couple races where I almost, almost got on the podium, but I had a lot, a lot of races around 10th place, you know, it was, I was kind of knocking on the door, but I never really put it all together. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, obviously at the, the games, you know, kind of kind of scripted it any better i guess <laughs> and we'll, we'll get to but, that in a second because i do want to understand i mean was it like was it just perfect timing that the games were in 2010 and that's when you broke through or was it something specific you were doing that helped you break through like what what gave you that extra oomph in that perfect year to possibly have it i mean i think a lot of it was that i was steadily progressing throughout the whole year mm-hmm every every race that i had was was just a little bit better and i was i was a little bit closer and you know one race i would win you know a couple splits and then the next race i would win a couple more have a big big blow up you know still end up ninth or tenth or something like that so you know it was all it was all kind of there it just w didn't come together and i think the biggest thing that i always did as an athlete that probably one of my best athletic attributes was being able to really stick to the process of, of my plan, you know, not, not jumping ahead of where I was just because, you know, I wanted to force something through. So, I mean, that's really what it came down to is I just kept, kept, you know, looking at what I was doing, seeing the progress and just kept kind of keeping on in the same way, not, not doing anything drastic or crazy, but, um, you know, slowly getting better and better, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, I think ski racing being an outdoor sport, there's, a, there's always some elements of that. And I, I started early in Vancouver and it was a hot day. So I think that that for sure helped me, but, um, you know, 
I've had it the other way enough times that I don't apologize for that. Yeah, I was going to say, like, hey, man, that's just that's just the luck of the draw sometimes. Or, well, not even luck at that point because you were, you were doing it. So, as you said, you got to go and, and you got <coughs> better conditions potentially. But so what um, – could you actually explain to us how qualifying for the Olympics works just so people have a good understanding? Because, honestly, I just – I turn it on and you guys are there. Um, yeah. I don't hear about how you guys got there or anything. It's just, hey, these are the however many American men and women um, – that are going to be racing. So like, could you just kind of describe that um, for us, uh, the audience? Yeah, no, qualifying is pretty straightforward for alpine skiing. We basically use the World Cup season to, to rank how people, people are qualifying for the games. Um, I think that the games have a little bit of a different qualifying system because they wait, you know, if, you, if you're closer to a podium, that you know, that would be weighted more than somebody, you know, say one guy had one fifth place and another guy had two tenth places and they had the same number of, of ranking points. The guy with a fifth place goes ahead of the guy with a, you know, mm -hmm. just cause it, it is yeah. about, it's about podiums at the, the Olympics. But so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's essentially how it works for us is, is we get a quota based off of how we kind of rank up in the whole world of skiing, you know, as a broader, broader skiing culture, you know, they, I think they, they take into effect. I mean, even from how well we do as a country at the, you know, 15 year old level, all the way up through the world cup level. And based off of that, they tell us how many, how many spots we get between the men and the women. And then they just, you know, take, take the results and mm -hmm. crunch the numbers and that's that's pretty much it. We don't we we, the, we used to do qualifying events, but um, you know I, I think it personally I think it makes more sense to to look at a season long, yeah. You know rather than than one day, especially in yeah. this sport where it's you know anything can happen on on one day, mm -hmm. given weather and everything else. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and there there are certain sports that are like a one day thing, like it's Olympic yeah. Trials Day, and they're like it's like a couple day long thing. And I just think that's crazy because I mean, if you're injured or if something happens, if it's just an unfortunate turnout for you, um, right? Now you have to wait four more years. Now, obviously, one thing that I've been finding as I talk to more and more Olympic athletes, the Olympics are the pinnacle, I guess you could say, but that's not your whole life. I mean, obviously there's the world cup, there's world championships, there's a lot of other things going around. So it's not like, you know, for three years you're hanging out and then the nine months you get ready and you go to the Olympics, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think that that is a, a misperception by a lot of people is that, you know, we're doing the Olympics and then we'll see in four years for the Olympics. You know, we, we have, we have a world cup season, uh, which is really kind of our main focus. You know, the, the world cup season is, is what everybody looks at. The Olympics are an awesome bonus every four years, you know, world championships are a little bit awesome bonus every two years, but you know, really, really it's, you know, everything in the sport is based around the world cup tour. Mm -hmm. You know, you get notoriety from the Olympics, but if you're not performing on the world cup, it, you know, it's kind of, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly, because that's something that happens a little bit more often. So exactly, you can the community, uh, specifically of alpine skiing, can definitely resonate with that a little bit more. So you make the Olympics, you as you just described the qualification process to us, you clearly ranked high enough to be one of the however many gentlemen that were taken that year. As you said, you got a, um, 
it wasn't quite luck, but it, you were definitely in the right situation in the right time in Vancouver, and it, it helped your sounds like it helped your time a little bit more. Tell us what it was like when you finally won that medal. That was it was bronze your first year, correct, or your first Olympics? Yeah, it was bronze. Um, it, it was it was interesting because it was you know I ran three, um, so I came down winning, and then I basically just waited for the next however, you know, two hours to, to see what, how everything shook out. And it was actually, uh, it was a very close race. So, you know, there, there was a whole bunch of guys. Um, you know, I think, I think Bodie Miller came down beating me and then eventually Axel Svindal came down beating both of us. Um, but you know, if you look at the results, if I had maybe been a 10th of a second slower, I, I was, I was maybe in 10th place or something like that. Oh, wow. So I, I got, you know, I got kind of just the, the skin of my teeth. Um, you know, I, I was maybe two hundredths from fourth place. So it could have been a very different day. Um, but so it was, it was pretty, you know, I, I guess my point is, is that that it was pretty nerve wracking watching these guys come in and then, you know, you, you see the splits the whole way, um, as they're coming down the course, mm -hmm. but you know, anything can happen in, in that, that sort, sort of margin. So, you know, I think I was just mentally exhausted by the time, by the time they actually said like, okay, yeah, you know, <laughs> you're good. You're catalyst now. Um, I was just, I was so whooped. Cause that's two hours of just having to endure. Like, yeah. I mean, basically, like, yeah. Mean. You know, I, yeah. I mean, till the, till the race was official, official over and, um, yeah, it was probably about an hour and a half, two hours. Wow, man. That is, that is some mental fortitude right there. That, I mean, you should deserve the medal just for that alone. <laughs> and not just well, the fact that you're also one of the best in the world in this sport, of course. But I mean, that's, that just sounds like, as you said, you were drained, not only physically, but mentally as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, <laughs> I just, I, I mean, I remember being exhausted, um, you know, and, like thank god i didn't have to go up and ski again after that because there, there's no chance but <laughs> hey it worked and that's that's all we have to worry about that is incredible so what what that's was right. like the moment when you finally they said okay you're you're the third best in the world at this what what is that like especially again we understand that the world cup and the world championships happen all the time but as you said the notoriety comes to the olympics at any given moment 30 million people are watching this in america alone so what is that like when you can kind of, you know, your, your friends, your family, everyone's watching. I mean, it was in our, you know, it was in Canada, so it made it way easier for everyone to watch too. Yeah. What, like, what's that like knowing everyone's watching you and you're standing up on the podium with the flag coming down and that whole spectacle, I guess. I mean, it's just, it's, it's so beyond belief incredible. And it, I like, I can't even really describe it because it, there's really no way to describe it. it it's just, you know, for me I, at that age with, with a lot of career ahead of me, you know, it, it was just such an, such an incredible moment because I, you know, in my mind, I, I, I thought to myself like, wow, this is like, I can just build on this. I can, I can continue to, to turn this into better and better things. You know, this is, this is a, a you know, a, a point on my, on my way up, which is mm -hmm. just, you know, um, pretty incredible. And, and, you know, I just, I think if it had been a world cup, I would have been probably just as happy with it being the Olympics. I think I was, I was 
as happy, but also incredibly proud of, of just, I mean, being, being able to be a part of that, that whole thing. I mean, to, to, to be able to represent the U S is such an honor anyway. And then to be able to represent on that level and to be able to kind of take home something that, that adds to the kind of like the general sports prestige of the whole, the whole nation in terms of the medal count and all that stuff is would just, I mean, it was so mind blowing. It was, it was really surreal um, to be honest. And uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I will literally never have that feeling, but, and so I can't say I understand, but at the same time, I mean, I can, I can, I can understand how it was difficult to put to words because again, this is, it's it's a dream. It sounds like it was a dream of yours, especially again yeah. growing up in Lake Placid at such a young age, where you guys are kind of like a Olympic ski factory. It sounds like Olympic sport factory, and then you're actually able to go and 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 represent your country and take home that bronze, especially with a teammate of yours, correct? Winning winning silver. Yeah. So like yeah. Well, that's also in, in you know in an individual sport, you guys are teammates, but at the same time you're going against each other. So it's one yeah. of those things where the, the two of you being able to take home medals is just, it's incredible. Um, and you know, man, we, we appreciate all the work and the time and the energy you put into it. Yeah, no, it was fun. I mean, especially, especially being able to share that with, with Bodie, um, you know, it was so cool. And I, I've been on four podiums internationally and two of them were with Bodie. One of them was with Ted Ligeti and then the other one, with some guys that, you know, some other guys, but, um, you know, that was so cool. Like it was such, such an awesome thing to be able to like, you know, it's great to have a great day as a, as an individual, but to have, have a day like that as a team is just, you don't, you don't foresee that happening, um, too often and it doesn't happen too often. So it was, that made it, you know, that made it all that more, much more special for sure. Absolutely. And then again, yeah, I mean, you know, a billion people worldwide are watching this event. That's also probably considering, you know, with like, again, and that's one thing that frustrates me, but at the same time, it's still kind of cool. Like, let's be honest, not too many people are watching the World Cup events for alpine skiing, right? You know, so now you get the opportunity for millions and millions and millions of people in the United States, at least specifically, um, to watch you and, and, and watch you represent our country. I just think it's really incredible. Um, and you've been able to do it three times with two of them. Um, winning medals which i think is is just incredible so after after the 2010 games in vancouver you had a little bit of an injury i guess the next year year and change and kind of yeah tell us a little bit about that and, and how however deep you'd like to go into that part of the story yeah so that that's kind of the interesting um that's that's where everything you know i i just mentioned how i really thought mm -hmm. i really thought that the olympics was kind of just this this next step on a series of, mm -hmm. of more steps that were coming up. Um, and I was right in the, in one sense, but they weren't, they weren't upward steps. Um, two weeks after the games, I crashed in uh, a race in Norway. I broke my ankle, dislocated my shoulder. So I ended up going pretty much straight from there. I went to, I went to get surgery on my shoulder, my ankle. They were, they just casted it. Um, so I had my first shoulder surgery. I came back from that, was starting to get things rolling again throughout the summer. Um, you know, I was training, raced a couple races, didn't go great, but it was, you know, there's, there's definitely kind of glimmers in there that, that things were going to get better. And then over Christmas after, 
we had done our first two race series over Christmas. I dislocated my other shoulder, went home, had to get surgery on that. Missed, obviously missed the rest of that. That was the 2010, 2011 season. Um, you know, I came, came back, got, got through the surgery, did all that. Went to Mammoth to train a little bit in the spring. And I, I guess my third day is third day of training. I was skiing down and, and hit some weird snow and, uh, broke, broke my other ankle. So, you know, at that point I just, I, I couldn't handle it. I, I just kind of said, you know what, like, we're going to patch this up. I, I can't have another surgery right now. I've already had two surgeries in the last 12 months. Um, so I skied the next season with a, with a, a pretty messed up ankle and it started to really affect, you know, my back and everything else. Like I was having pretty bad back problems and things like that. So I had surgery the 2012 spring. Um, you know, went through that next season was kind of hobbling along. Wasn't, wasn't great. Wasn't terrible. Just couldn't really find my rhythm. Uh, and then that next 2013 spring, I, I had ankle surgery again and sort of, sort of said, you know, this is obviously getting ridiculous. Um, you know, I've, I've done a lot of things in the sport that I want to, I, I don't really know if this makes sense anymore, but because the Olympics are this year, I'm going to give it one more shot, kind of go all in, see what I can do. I switched equipment companies just you know, because I needed to, but also I think, you know, for a lot of reasons, you know, mental reasons, just to, just to find something new, you know, like create a new project that, that I could kind of leave some of the old baggage behind. And so I went into that season, you know, really kind of saying, okay, this is, this is about it. This is, this is, you know, this is what, what I'm, this is kind of my, my grand finale. Um, and it, I'm willing to keep skiing as long as it makes sense. But, you know, if, if I'm struggling like this, it's, it's not a ton of fun. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't, I don't need to do this forever and, and just kind of struggle through it. You know, I can, I can kind of walk away from the sport. So, um, so I went into that season with actually, you know, in a pretty good place mentally, you know, I was, I was skiing well and I had, Again, like I kind of went through the same process as before the, the 2010 games where I was having these glimmers of, of really great stuff. It just, it just wasn't coming together. Um, you know, in particular in Beaver Creek, in uh, the Super G there, I was in second place starting in the 40s. Um, I came into second place and then the last, the last split I blew out. So it was, it was like, you know, just trying to – trying to get it going wasn't quite going as well as I wanted to, but it, it also wasn't as though I was, I was skiing poorly. So, um, you know, I based off a lot of things. They, they named me as a discretion spot for, for those games. And mm -hmm. I did get to go, which was great. So, um, yeah, you went, I think you also might've won a medal when you were there. Man. Like that, yeah. Oh yeah. I also, I, you know, I got to go. I mean, what then, so like after so long of just, like this arduous process of getting hurt, getting fixed, getting hurt, getting fixed. Like I can completely understand how, yeah, it's really not fun. You do this because you love it. 
But if you're not enjoying it, you like, why do it? You know? So I can really understand how that can really weigh down on you mentally, physically, obviously, both knee or both ankles had surgery on them at least once. It sounded like you're obviously your shoulder, um, like that, that's impressive. And then, yeah, I guess going into it, just being like, heck, you know, Hey, maybe this is my last shot. This will be fun. Let's see what happens. And, and clearly, um, clearly it works. So if you don't mind telling us about the 2014 games over in Russia and kind of how, how you find even more success there. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I went into those games, actually, I, I didn't go to the, the, the beginning of the games. I, I stayed in Austria, Ted Ligeti and I trained together for about a week and, um, you know, just kind of by chance, I, I, I made some changes to my equipment, just different skis and stuff like that, mm-hmm. that were kind of working really well. And so I was cautiously optimistic about, you know, well, mm-hmm. you know, maybe this, you know, this is, this could be okay. Um, but anyways, I, you know, I get to the games and I don't know if you remember, but it was, it was pretty funky weather. It was, it was mm-hmm. pretty hot. Yeah, it was very hot. Yeah. Um, so leading up into the super G, they decided that they were going to push the super G startup an hour. So I think maybe it started at nine 30 in the morning. We usually don't start till 11. Um, so they, they pushed it way up because they knew that the snow was going to deteriorate and you know, the guys, the, they wanted it to be as fair as, as they could. But with that, everybody understood that the later numbers were, like probably not going to have a, a mm-hmm. huge, huge chance at, at doing a whole lot. So um, I remember being in the meeting there and um, my coach kind of looked at me and <laughs> shook his head and then handed me bib 29, which was this, literally the second worst number that I could, I could draw. <laughs> yeah. I could see him kind of looking at you like, ah, oh, shoot. Um, like <laughs> you, you get your bib. Hey, congratulations. You're at the Olympics. Ooh. Yeah. It was totally like a, you know, sorry, man, just, you're not catching a whole lot of breaks here, but you know, in a weird way that kind of, that kind of gave me the opportunity to say, Hey, you know what? Like I've been doing this in, you know, there's, there's all these different ways that I've been going about this sport that aren't necessarily mine. You know, I'm, I'm borrowing all these ideologies or, you know, different kind of techniques at approaching things. Um, from other people. So since I, I assume that this is probably going to be my last race because I don't have any chance anyway, um, why I'm going to do it the way that I want to do it. And I'm going to totally trust myself. And, um, you know, I remember, I remember in, in my inspection, you know, you kind of skated across this little traverse to start. And then you, you went on to this, this first pitch. And I, I said, um, you know, we have blue lines on the, the track for, for depth perception and stuff like that. But it's also kind of, you know, got a lot of guys use it to, to give them a little bit of a you know, reference point where to start turns and things mm-hmm. like that. So, you know, I said, I'm going to be on this blue line and I'm just going to roll in and, and do my thing. And I remember skating across that in the actual run and all the tracks went, you know, a couple, couple meters above the blue lines. And I almost followed them. And, and at the last second, I was like, you know what? Like, I already promised myself I was going to do this the way that I wanted to do it. So, like, screw it. And I rolled in, skied probably the five best turns that I've ever skied in my life down that first pitch. I mean, just 
just kind of amazed myself in the sense that, wow, like my program, I should trust myself more often. My program isn't that bad. I, I somewhat know what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, I, I skied a good run the rest of the way down and, and definitely, you know, the unfortunate thing a little bit was that the snow was, was getting really soft at the bottom. So I, I lost quite a bit of time down there for really no good reason. It just, you know, I just didn't, you know, it was, it was the way it was at that, at that point having a bad bib. But, um, you know, I remember coming through the finish and I skied, I skied the way exactly the way that I wanted to and exactly the way that I knew I could. And I, I honestly, I didn't even look at my time cause I, I, I didn't really, I didn't really care at that point. Um, it was just to do something at such a pure level like that, where, you know, all of a sudden, like you just nail it one time. And I, I didn't think I had a chance, so I didn't even bother. I said, you know, maybe it was a good run. Maybe it's a top 10, but whatever. It's the Olympics. Top 10s don't, you know, top 10s don't pay the bills. Um, but then I heard the crowd and I looked up at my time and I kind of collapsed a little bit and just, you know, I mean, it basically from really planning on retiring, I mean, literally was planning on retiring to, to have that, that kind of, you know, just, I don't, I can't even call it a boost because it's, it's, it's like, a, it's more than that. It's like a rebirth in my career where all of a sudden I, I, I had something, I had something under my belt that all of a sudden, like, I'm a competitor again, like, let's, let's make this happen. And, and literally after that, you know, the, the next race I had my best world cup race ever. Um, you know, the race after that I didn't finish, but I was, I was, you know, in the, in the top three and then, you know, just kind of, it, it started this, this whole new me for a better way to put it. That's incredible, man. I mean, just that is absolutely good. Literally going from about to retire to now the second in the world at the Olympics, that is to be just ridiculous. And I mean, again, like you, okay, you had bronze the first time. And as you said, top tens don't pay the bills, but top 10 in the world at something at an event like that is incredible. Um, coming from an outsider's perspective, at least, yeah. um, you know, so there's always something to hang your hat on and ending up in second place and ending up where you did and kind of how it all worked out. I mean, that's, that's a movie, man. And then you kind of, then you're able to take it and, and use it. And as you said, I mean, for lack of a better term, excuse my pun, but take the snowball and start rolling it down the hill and turning it into, um, you know, exactly what you turned it into. I mean, I read a few articles on, on how you said like then the four years following 2010 were some of the best years of your career. I mean, maybe the article was using a little hyperbole, I don't know, you tell me, but you know, then you kind of just utilized all that momentum and kind of just went forward from, Hey, if you finished out of the metal contention, you might've retired. And instead now you're, you're able to do your thing you love for another, you know, four more years. That's incredible. Yeah, totally. I mean, it, it really did. It kind of really jump started my career and, and I did a, I, I don't, know how I did it as well as I did, to be honest, where I, I really took that momentum and I just rolled it into, to, you know, kind of personal best race after personal best race. Um, you know, it got me back into, to downhill the next year, you know, I was kind of, 
not racing downhill a lot and all of a sudden like but yeah i mean i'm skiing super g well like let's start racing downhill seriously again and then all of a sudden i'm back in the top 20 and downhill and i'm in the you know top top seven in super g i think i was i mean at one point i was i was ranked second um you know two years after the game so it was it really was i mean it really was the 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 best couple years of my whole career were after that you know unfortunately um after the 2016 season i i had to get shoulder surgery again and then you know knee surgery the following season so it, it kind of started that cycle you know i saw the writing on the wall mm-hmm. a little bit where all of a sudden you know we went from being able to keep this momentum to to not necessarily being able to keep it anymore because the, this injury cycle is kind of starting again and um the second time around i was maybe less gung-ho about like i gotta make this work you know was, at that point i i had kids and um you know it was it was a bummer because it was it was leading up into the the pyeongchang games but it's what it is i mean you know it there's there's some things you know people ask me a lot if 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 i could do one thing over in my career what would it be and i it it would obviously just be don't get hurt as much (laughs) (laughs) oh geez if it's that easy right (laughs) right um because that was you know that was the really the thing that held me back and some guys some guys recover from injuries really well where they're you know it's like you know they they come back from their six months after knee surgery and they're exactly where they were. And, um, you know, I think I don't, I don't know exactly the reason why, but maybe, you know, I was always a very, very physical skier. So if there's any hiccups in, in my physicality, I wasn't able to do what I wanted to. And that really affected my confidence a lot. And that's, that's the only thing I can pinpoint it on, but yeah. Anyways. It's it's unfortunate, man. I mean, injuries are, you know, that's, that's always one thing, you know, I'm, a, I'm obviously a very big sports fan and that's always, that's the worst variable because I want to see everyone at their top right. of their game at all times. I don't want to see ACL tears in football. I don't want to see pitchers, Tommy John in baseball. Like I don't want to see that stuff because I want to see the best of the best competing fully right. healthy, ready to go all the time. And, and it's one of those things, you, you know, we got to live with it. And it's extremely unfortunate for you how it kind of hit you multiple times. I mean, as you said, there's cycles, you went through injury cycles twice, yeah. and just yeah. kind of going through that. And, and, you know, thankfully, um, you were able to and, and made it significantly far in your career and did a lot of things. I, by the time that second cycle, as you said, came around, you're almost in your thirties, if not in your thirties at that point. So yeah, I was in my thirties. Exactly. It's one of those things where you kind of understand the human body, you know, if you, you (laughs) are at an elite level from, you know, in 2002, you made the United States team. So you've been in an elite level for a significant period of time. You put that much wear and tear on your body. It's just an an inevitable, um, unfortunate event that's going to happen. But you know, you, you talk about it like, like you didn't make the Olympics a third time. I mean, you're a three-time Olympian. That's absolutely insane. I mean, what was like the third time I'm assuming at this point was kind of, you know, you thought your second, the second time was your swan song, but this time it was most likely you had, I have to assume you were pretty, um, I, I don't know. You tell me, was that kind of, you knew at that point it was like, okay, I've kind of reached the pinnacle or, or what, what exactly was going through your head the third time? I mean, if you get made second again, I'm sure you would have kept going, right? Yeah, you know, honestly, I I don't know if I would have. Um, you know, I I I pretty much knew that this was going to be it for me. Um, you know, there my my body was was in pretty rough shape. 
Um, you know, my knee was pretty bad this year where, you know, and that, that was, that was the bummer about it all is that, you know, I could, I could ski, I could take a week off and I could ski with no training and, and be in there. Um, but then I couldn't ski the next day, you know, I'd have to take another four or five days off. And, and, you know, it's just, again, you know, so much of, so much of what I was doing depended on my physicality that, that when that went away, like all of a sudden it was, it was really difficult for me to keep my confidence up. But, um, you know, also the, the other big thing in my, you know, was that in 2016, um, you know, I had a daughter or my, my wife and I had a daughter and then we had another daughter this past spring. So, you know, it, it, it would have taken, it would have taken a real lot for me to, to keep going just, just based off of that, you know, mm-hmm. the, my, my first daughter, you know, I, I missed a lot of stuff and, and, you know, I, I realized that and that, that made the time on the road that much more difficult. And especially when my body would hurt and I wasn't skiing and because, you know, it was, it was really tough. It was, it was, it was not easy for me to, to stay in a good mindset, you know, knowing what I was missing and I wasn't even on the road skiing. I was on the road, you know, hanging out in a hotel room, trying to rest my knee so that I could ski in a few days, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it was what it was. I, I really, you know, I, I did pretty much everything that I wanted to do, you know, that I would have, the one thing, I mean, I, I, I never won a world cup, which would have been awesome, but you know, I, I, I was on a world cup podium twice with two of the best guys that, that ever probably ski race, you know, among the best guys, Marcel Herscher was one. Um, you know, who's the, the best Austrian skier ever just saying a lot. And then Axel Svindal is, is, is the other guy who, again, like the best Norwegian skier ever. So it's, it's not, it's not like, it's not like I didn't try. It just, you know, never quite, (laughs) never quite worked out the right way. But, um, yeah, so it was, it was honestly, it was easy for me to walk away because I had a lot. I had a lot that was drawing me back home and I didn't have a whole lot that was keeping me in the sport anymore. Mm-hmm. So. And, that, and that completely makes sense. I mean, you, you were at the top of your game and, and, and for, for a while and you did some amazing things in the sport. So I think it's pretty incredible. Um, and yeah, man, I mean, again, it's unfortunate. Most people are only going to look at the Olympics because we really don't know too much about Alpine skiing outside of it. Um, but still from an outsider's point of view and you making three Olympic games is, I mean, some, most people don't make one. So, you know, I think it's just incredible that you made the third. And I guess if, if you don't mind talking to that, I know we're kind of bumping up the time in a bit, but no, no worries. What, what was that third game? Like the third games? I mean, you're the, they're the grizzled veteran now. Like what is that like either hanging out with the young guys, hanging out with your friends that you've been there with multiple times? Like what was that like? And really just kind of for the third time kind of taking in and being like, all right, this is, this is probably the last one. I mean, it only happened a few months ago now, but um, you know, tell us, I guess a little bit about that experience. Yeah. The, the third games was definitely, I mean, they were each different, but the third one was, was definitely, kind of the most different um you know it's fun i i i was rooming with one of the young guys as well as ted Ligety, which was cool because ted and i have been on the ski team together for uh i guess he made it the year after me so 15 years um 
so it's just fun to, you know, to hang out with him. And it was also fun to, to be around the young guys. You know, I felt like, I, honestly, in, in the last year, I really felt like, you know, I was, I was kind of, I was kind of, I wasn't, I wasn't physically fit enough to really do it myself, but I, I, I could give a lot of, give a lot of insight to the younger guys and actually be useful in that way, you know, <laughs> like trying to, trying to make myself useful somehow. But, uh, yeah, it was a fun games. You know, it, it, it was definitely different. We were living way off campus over by this, the ski venue um, at this kind of little, I was almost like a campground type place. Um, Very cool. So it was cool because our whole team was there and we were all, you know, hanging out, having fun. But, you know, it was, it was also in the sense that I wasn't really skiing that much. That was kind of a drag, you know, where I would ski two days and then take three days off. And, and, you know, that, that's always a bummer, but again, that, that is what it is. But, but yeah, we had, we had a good time. It was, it was definitely, it was definitely a good time to go out on and, you know, obviously the results are what they are, but it's the way it goes. It is what it is, man. You're still one of the best in the world at something. And I think that is absolutely incredible. I think it's just so cool. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate, but I mean, it, as of a couple months ago, if I'm not mistaken, you've uh, retired um, from the ski team from international competition. However, we'd like to say it. What does, I mean, looking back on your career, we've kind of talked about it a little bit throughout the conversation, but like, what are like looking back on your career, doing some of the amazing things you've done? I mean, you're probably, pretty happy with it i'm assuming right you've done some absolutely incredible things um over the almost 20 years what let's call it 18 years 16 years however long you've been on the team for i mean i guess i don't know what what are some of your final thoughts i guess let's go with that i mean it's it's one of those things that i really wouldn't trade for anything you know i i wouldn't necessarily i wouldn't push my my daughters into that lifestyle or or you know it's 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 a tough sport and it's a it's a brutal sport in terms of trying to maintain relationships and, and everything else because you're on the road so much. But, um, my experience was incredible. You know, I, I had a lot of fun and I learned a lot about myself, which is, I think as much as anything as important. Um, you know, I think, I think it's, it's, it's such, it's such a privilege to be able to push, push yourself to the extreme limits of what you think you can do and what you think is possible and to have, you know, not only do it on your own, but have, have a support system that, that encourages you to do that. So, um, you know, I, 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 again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a lot. It was, it was amazing. But now that I'm retired, I, I really don't miss it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yet. You know, maybe, no. maybe I will when, when all my buddies are getting ready to go to the first World Cups in, in Colorado and stuff. You know, I mean, that's a, that's, that's a special thing. That's, that's a, a, a great part of it is being able to be part of those events or, you know, racing Kitzbühel, Austria, where there's, you know, there's a, there's a hundred thousand people there, you know, like things like that are, are incredible. And I'm, I'm never going to have the opportunity to do those things again, but I can always go watch. So um yeah your body will probably appreciate it too and i mean man like again like looking back on it you're only 32 years old you've done like some of the craziest most amazing things a human body can do you're 32 you got what another 
40, 50 years to do now anything you want. I mean, you'll I always know. have those medals. You'll always have the experiences. They're not going anywhere. And now, I mean, you're a young dude. You're only like six years older than me. I've never been doing Olympic Games. And all I have to do is buy a plane ticket and I can go there. And I still haven't done that. So, you know, I think it's incredible, man. And, and so you're retired now, as you said. You're probably not take your time. I'm sure you'll, you'll, you'll get an itch for it, but your, your body will appreciate you you taking a couple, uh, couple of years off at least. Um, yeah. so what, what is life after, I mean, your sport, I mean, you're, uh, and, and I don't mean to cut you off before you even start talking, but you're going back to school. Yeah. Um, you're hope, crossing our fingers. You, I assume you will be graduating at the end of this year, hopefully in May, if not the semester after. So what I guess is on the, as we said, you got another 40, 50 years to go. What else are you thinking about doing? Yeah, I know it's 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 interesting to to try to redesign your your career at 32 years old. You know, I, yeah, that's kind of a a fun thing to do. Um, and I, as I've been figuring it out, you know, it's 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 been cool. I you know I I didn't really know until I was kind of dropped into it, uh, obviously. But so yeah, I mean, school is school is the big thing. But since since I retired, my my parents have a hotel in Lake Placid, the Mirror Lake Inn, and so. I've been there actually. Um, that's actually the last job I had before. Huh. <laughs> before Full I circle, man. Before that I went fantastic. to Park City. So um, yeah, it, it's been it's been great. You know, to be a part of a family business is is such a cool thing. And um, you know, I I don't know a lot about the hotel business other than growing up with it, which I guess you know gives me some experience. And then having stayed in a ton of hotels. So yeah, I was gonna it, say it's been a really cool learning experience. And I, and I feel like I've, it's just been, been one thing after another where, where I'm kind of, I went from something that, that I, I pretty much knew, I knew my next 10 steps and I knew exactly, you know, what hotel I was going to be staying in, what I was going to be doing this week of the year for, you know, that was like my five-year plan. I could have, I could have told you exactly, you know, within, you know, it's a small, small percentage of, of, of an error exactly where I was going to be in January next year. Uh, could, you know, and, and it, it's exciting to all of a sudden, you know, things are, things are up in the air. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to continue at, as I'm at school, I'm going to continue to kind of commute back and forth and, and work at the hotel. I um, mean, you know, as well as obviously, you know, through the season, we're, trying to do some cool stuff with, with skiing and, and, you know, try to incorporate me that way, which is, which has been great, you know, just brainstorming that stuff, trying to, trying to figure out where I fit and, and what makes sense. And then, um, you know, after, after school, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure. You know, I, I've, I've definitely, I thought about going back and doing more school cause you know, it's, it's kind of the time for me to do it right now while my kids are at least youngish and, and, uh, um, I've considered going to business school or, um, but I'm, I'm not really sure. And that, and, and after having such a structured life for so long, that's probably, you know, as you said, it's a pretty cool feeling. I mean, it's something that you never really have had the opportunity. You've never had a blank canvas in front of you. Right. You've always known exactly what was going to happen when it was going to happen. I mean, obviously barring injury, but even once that happened, you knew exactly what was going to happen and when it was going to happen. So yeah, I can, uh, I can definitely see that being, um, 
a little scary, but at the same time, definitely fun and interesting because now you can really do whatever you want at this point. And I think that's pretty cool. And it also helps that you're going to a school like Dartmouth. Um, let's not, let's not forget <laughs> that. You're clearly a pretty smart dude. Like you don't, nobody, you don't just get into Dartmouth for fun. Like you're clearly a very smart guy. And, and, uh, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure that'll be able to take you a lot of places. So congratulations on that, man. That is, that is absolutely incredible. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate it. No. And I think it is funny that, um, you, you worked in the hotel business then you left and lived in hotels for however long, and then you're coming back to the hotel business. I'm sure there's a couple of things you can tell your parents uh, to uh, to uh, help increase maybe some of the people, some uh, some attendance. But um, last yeah. question, um, Andrew, don't want to keep you for the rest of your life. Yeah. But um, uh, monetary aspects. One thing I try and do with every episode is talk to athletes, specifically you guys, the Olympic athletes, either about their sport or just about being an Olympian in general. Because too many people have this. Uh, misconception, let's call it that, you know, you're an American athlete, oh, we're paying you to be, you know, represent our country, you've won multiple medals, you know, we expect you to be given pretty much everything you need, where in other countries, that's very true. Um, but here, that's not usually the case. Um, I've found some of the numbers are actually staggering and, and terrifying. And I don't want it to be a thing every two years, I want it to be a thing every week, every day, that people yeah. are kind of realizing and understanding that just because you're an Olympic athlete doesn't mean you're making even really a livable wage at, at certain times. So if you don't mind just kind of, I guess, not telling us the exact dollars you've made, but just giving us a good understanding of what life is like as an Olympic athlete and trying to maneuver the whole monetary aspect of it when needing the best coaching, equipment, nutrition, mental aspects, you know, anything possible um, in the world. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was, it's, um, you know, I think, I think that alpine skiing is a little bit better in this respect than, than a lot of the other winter Olympic sports. You know, I just know from, from some of the other guys I talk to and girls, it's, it's, it's really tough because, you know, there's the fan base for, you know, bobsled is, is only so big. Um, you know, the nice thing, the nice thing in Alpine is that there is a huge following in Europe. So, you know, like I was saying before, there, there are races where there's hundreds of thousands of people that, that come, and, you know, I mean, if, if you're winning those races, the, the prize money's upwards of, of a hundred thousand dollars. Um, so it's, it's good. And, and there's, there's a lot of support by the companies, you know, because, because the ski industry is a big industry or, or relatively big industry, you know, the, there's a lot of endorsement opportunity from, from ski brands and helmet brands and all this stuff, because, um, you know, again, it's, it's, it's big in Europe and, and the racing, you know, probably in the same way that as formula one, you know, the racing drives, drives the kind of the, the commercial end of mm -hmm. the whole, the whole operation. So, um, you know, we're pretty lucky. They, they definitely, you know, there's, there's definitely people in our sport that are making, you know, millions of dollars. Um, you know, Lindsay and Michaela and, you know, those, they're, they're making quite a lot of money. You know, it definitely drops off to my level quite, quite quickly. <laughs> um, but you know, I mean, I was, I was, I was, I was pretty lucky and I, I saved a lot of money. And so I, I came out of it pretty good. Um, but you know, I mean, there's, there's some years where you need occasionally you'll get a, you know, if you're ranked in the top 10 in the world, like 60 or $70,000, endorsement from from a ski company plus some bonuses and mm -hmm. and stuff like that so um you know it's definitely it's definitely possible to make make a 
a decent amount of money skiing, especially if you're a European, you know, I mean, those guys, those guys probably make, you know, five X, but what we make just, just off the ground floor, but, um, you know, it's their national sports. So Mm -hmm. much in the same way that football players in America make a lot more than Austrian football players, you know, that's, that's kind of where we're at. But, um, you know, I, I, it's definitely, we can't really complain. It's definitely not the struggle that a lot of the other athletes in the winter sports have. Um, you know, I, I just, I know that, you know, there's, there's, there's some, some sports where there's, you know, there's no, there's no industry behind bobsled. Nobody's selling a a hundred thousand bobsleds a year. So they need somebody to put a face on it. You know, they sell 40 of them a year or 40 are made custom made. And that's, that's the whole industry. So, um, you know, we have some advantages, but certainly not, you know, it's, it's not the norm to come out with, with enough money that all of a sudden you're, you're trying to figure out what to do with your, the rest of your life just to keep yourself entertained, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, probably occasionally, but you know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still working. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. That, that's, that's, that's a hundred percent true. And, and that, that is good to hear. Honestly, I did not know. And, and uh, through the conversation, I did kind of pick up that in Europe, this is a huge, huge sport. So you do have the opportunity where the purses and some of these events are, much much higher than they will be in for other events and as you said you know Lindsay and michaela they you know they deserve every penny they get man keep giving them more money i'm all for it but you know it, it's just one thing then hearing the stories from a lot of athletes where the struggle is very real and it's not like again you know for the amount of time and energy and everything you did you are coming out with it some money uh some money but as you said i mean over in europe you would be you know potentially five to ten times more yeah. Uh, which would be nice. Hey, man, I'm not trying to take money out of your pocket. Don't worry. I don't right. think anybody is. But, you know, it's uh, it's just one thing that I do like to make sure we're getting real stories from real people about exactly what they went through. Um, thankfully, you know, again, you won multiple medals. You were at the top of your game for a 10-year stretch, it seems like, you know, outside of those injuries. So you definitely deserve, um, you know, what you got. And, and you know, man, we appreciate all the time and, and all the effort and the money and everything that you put into it, you know, we appreciate that you represented our country, um, on, on literally the highest level for sports. So, you know, thank you for everything that you did. Man, it was totally my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> you kidding me? Love it, man. Yeah. It seems like you had a lot of fun doing it. So I'm glad. So again, um, Andrew Weibrecht, did I say that right? Yep. Awesome. Andrew Weibrecht right. of USA skiing, skied Alpine, super G got a good understanding of what the heck super G means. Now I just understand all they did was throw super on it, which is kind of <laughs> um, three-time Olympian, two-time medalist. Angie, thank you so much for joining us today, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. That was fun. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Our Athletes. I really appreciate it. This episode with Andrew was absolutely fantastic. He's a super cool guy, had a lot to say, a lot to learn, and a lot to really get and understand um, from his perspective. So I always appreciate that. If you guys could rate, subscribe, there we go, share, review, anything to really get the the, um, the, the subscriber count up, you know, I'd really appreciate that getting people to understand more about what our athletes are going through at this point. We have a significant number of athletes on there, but we have a significant number coming. So I'm really excited to get all these stories out and get people to really understand what these athletes are going through on a daily basis and, uh, get their stories more importantly out there. So thank you guys again, sincerely appreciate it. And other than that, hope you have a wonderful day.